was growing up in Salinas, we went to the Bay Area for all things cultural, all things commercial. <laughs> That's where we went for our shopping. But most importantly, for two young boys, all things sports. <laughs> we followed the Niners and the Raiders, the Sharks, the Cal Bears, even the Stanford Cardinals occasionally. But no sport was more important to us than baseball. It was a good time for Bay Area baseball, the 80s. Both the Giants and the A's had successful teams. And in 1989, they met in the World Series dubbed the Battle of the Bay. <laughs> Which, despite uh, the excitement for folks in our area, is more notorious these days for what happened in Game 3, or right before Game 3, which is when the Loma Prieta earthquake struck the Bay Area and changed the area forever. But years before that, my dad took my brother and me to our first baseball game at Candlestick Park, the home of the Giants, then home of the Giants, right? <laughs> The game was uh, the Giants versus the Yankees. I was probably six years old. I remember the enormity of the parking lot, right? Just amazing what, we, <laughs> what kind of land we dedicate to these places. I remember the immensity of the concrete staircases leading into the ballpark. I remember walking through the crowded hallways with the vendors selling hats and foam fingers and hot dogs and beer. I remember walking down to our seats, to our nosebleeds, the very top of the stadium, and finding our seats and folding down those spring-loaded chairs that ballparks had. I was too young to really hold it down unless I was actually sitting on it. <laughs> I remember my brother wearing his Oakland A's hat, because he was an A's fan, not a Giants fan. My dad wearing his Giants hat, but I don't remember the game at all. <laughs> It could be because the players looked tiny from up where we were seated, just absolutely tiny. But I do remember, with all of that, I remember a huge banner hanging over the right field wall. It was hand-painted, blue letters on white paper. I asked my dad what it said. He said, John 3.16. <laughs> From there, I had a litany of questions. What did that mean? Why did they have it here? Why, what did it have to do with baseball? Are they going to help the Giants? What's, what is this about? But I definitely looked up that verse and memorized it from then. Onward, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe in him might not perish but have eternal life. If there is a single verse to share, 
It's not a horrible one, right? At best, it brings us back to our Lenten orientation, beloved, our North. But there is a lot of baggage along with this verse, too. There's the masculine pronoun for the divine. There's the masculine son. There's an emphasis on belief rather than actions. There's the threat of hellfire, which is not exactly in there, but it's in there. And there's the question that always follows this verse for a lot of folks who spout it. Are you saved? There's also this reference to a weird numbers reading. What we got today. God sent snakes to punish the Israelites, then sets up a bronze snake to heal them from the snake bites. What? What is going on in this passage? What does this have to do with us here today in Isla Vista in 2018? How do we take this verse off the baseball field banner and into real life? To start... We have to see it in the context of the rest of John's gospel. Last week, we heard about Jesus' cleansing the temple. Casey highlighted how Sabbath economics reorient us back to what matters, brings us back to God's abundance, God's grace, rather than the institutional scarcity. Which is great for everyone except the institution preaching scarcity. It rocks the boat of the religious authorities in Jerusalem. One of those religious authorities is a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus hears some truth in what Jesus said and did at the temple, so he goes to see Jesus. Again, this is early in John's gospel. And we already have an authority figure going to Jesus for his inner authority. But Nicodemus goes to see him at night. He goes under the cover of darkness. He goes in secret. Contrast that with the next chapter in John's Gospel, the woman at the well, Jesus' longest dialogue with a Samaritan who is a woman. And when does it happen? At noon, in the plain light of day, broad daylight. In that daylight, Jesus brings aspects of her life that she had hidden to light. In the process, she is healed. I can't help but think about the Me Too movement. Bringing things to light. Healing coming from exposure of illness to the light. 
this past Thursday, March 8th, was International Women's Day. I loved seeing the images of solidarity of women around the world. Did you guys, did you guys see it? Did you guys tune into it at all? I was particularly inspired by the women's strike in Spain. Absolutely amazing. Women all over Spain stopped working. They stopped all domestic chores and spent no money at all. They took to the streets and they did this to shed light on the central role that women play in their country and to remind their country and the world that Spanish women are paid 14.2% less than Spanish men. In 2017, one woman in Spain was raped every eight hours. 49 women were killed by their own partners. Australian singer-songwriter Courtney Barnett, Barnett, if you've never heard her, go out and find her. She's like an Australian Bob Dylan. She's absolutely incredible and a lot of fun. But she recently released a song called Nameless Faceless, and the chorus goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to read it. She says, I want to walk through the park in the dark. Men are scared that women will laugh at them. I want to walk through the park in the dark. Women are scared that men will kill them. I hold my keys between my fingers. The juxtaposition of those fears sheds light on the absurd discrepancies between the lives of women and men in our times. Theologians categorize that sort of society-changing truth-telling as prophecy. In the broader culture, we associate prophecy with like doomsday fortune-tellers, right? But the prophets of the Old Testament were much more like Courtney Barnett than Jim Jones. They were truth-telling poets. In his book, The Prophetic Imagination, Old Testament scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann says that the task of the prophetic is to nurture, nourish, and evoke consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. This is particularly important when the dominant culture is flourishing. We've seen the economic bubble of Trump's pro-business America continues to waffle on the verge of bursting, waiting for the shooter drop, while it also continues to pad the pockets of the wealthy. Brueggemann reminds us that prosperity breeds amnesia. Prosperity breeds amnesia. That amnesia hides the suffering of the oppressed and makes it seem like things will always be the way that they are now. To contrast that, to think differently requires creativity. It requires imagination, the prophetic imagination. Again, Brueggemann says, 
It is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on conjuring and proposing futures alternative to the single one the king wants to urge as the only thinkable one. That imagination gives voice to the voiceless. As modern day prophet Alice Walker reminds us, the most common way people give up their power is thinking that they don't have any. About 10 years ago, my brother's sister's wife, Elizabeth, was an aspiring actress. She was living in Brooklyn, looking for work, any kind of work she could get as an actress. So she decided that she would look into work in voiceover. She sought out a voiceover coach, someone that everyone around her said was the person that could help her launch her career. So she started, got in with this voice coach and started private sessions in his studio. About six months into those lessons, one day the coach suggested that they read a script for a commercial in which two beers flirted with one another. He told her that other clients took off their clothes to capture the mood of the commercial. And he suggested that she do the same. She was hesitant, but he urged her, saying that she needed to really commit to this scene. She was alone in her recording booth. The lights were off. But something felt very wrong to Elizabeth. As an aspiring actress, she felt ashamed that she was unable to commit to the scene. Suddenly, the voiceover coach walked into that dark room completely naked. I will spare you the details, but suffice it to say that she made it out of the room safely despite the coach's advancements. For years, Elizabeth kept that incident as a secret. She assumed it was a singular event. Then last fall, as the Me Too movement launched, Elizabeth read stories like hers and shuddered in horror. And then she read one that mentioned her voice coach. She responded by posting a little bit of her experience. Since then, 15 other women have shared similar stories about the same man. For years, all of these women had been isolated and ashamed, and then someone had the courage to shed light in a dark place. The light doesn't mean that the darkness never was, but it changes how those women are in the world. And I would like to think that it heals. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light. Those who do what is true come to the light because the light heals. 
It redirects our gaze back to belonging, back to belovedness, back to the truth of God's love, love that hangs like a banner everywhere we go. For everyone to see. As long as the darkness does not cover it from our view. We look to that banner, to that light shining in the darkness, and we are healed. Healed of our obsession with individual success and economic prosperity. Healed of the poison of shame-filled secrets. Healed of isolation. In that healing light, we can follow the path set out for us by Jesus. To love the world. To love the world so much that we give ourselves. We risk what has been for what will be. We do that because we are loved. Because we know that love eternal is with us. No matter what. Amen.